Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is going over our NBA mock draft from picks one to 14, but we're also going to talk about the Dallas Mavericks a little bit with our guest today. Please welcome Lauren Gunn. Thanks for having me, you guys. I'm super, super pumped to be here. So Lauren, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your background, how you got into writing for the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah. So I, I, for people that don't know me, I grew up going to Mavericks games. My family has, my dad got uh, Maverick season tickets through his work. So my brother and I have been fortunate enough to see a lot of games through that. And so we are just obsessed with everything NBA, not just the Dallas Mavericks. And so, yeah. And like the last two years I've gotten into writing for the Dallas Mavericks SB nation page, Mavs Moneyball started two podcasts and, or well, one I jumped on uh, with my co-host Brian Zillum. That's the Dallas Mavericks podcast, the blue hardwood. And then I do the one now with my brother with over the general NBA and that one's called the gunshot. So yeah, busy over here. That's for sure. <laughs> making moves, making moves, making moves. So, of course, Jalen has some questions for us. So I'm just going to toss it right to Jalen. Mm-hmm. Let's get this thing started. Yeah, man. So the yeah. draft is pretty much my bread and butter. This is like my favorite part of the, the NBA season. It's crazy because between playoffs and the draft, ironically enough, I'm split down the middle. But right now I'm in full draft mode. So, of course, <laughs> the easiest way to kind of kick things off in terms of this podcast is finally doing a mock draft. Me and Ryan have not done one at all. We just recently did a big board. And that was really great. We did that with the guys at All Facts Media. But now we kind of started to need to put names to faces or I guess names to teams in this case. So we went based off of uh, Tankathon's lineup right now. It's pretty much strictly based on the, the ratings, the rankings of the current NBA standings. So we're not going based off lottery odds, different types of, you know, dice rolls and things like that. We're just going to go straight up based off the way the standings look right now. So Everybody's going to share their pretty much their mock draft one through 14. For those that don't know the order we're using, we're starting with Houston having the number one overall pick, Minnesota number two, Orlando number three, Detroit number four, Oklahoma City number five. That's the the top five, and we'll kind of round out as we go along. So, Lauren, I'm actually going to start with you. Going through the mock draft, what is your current order and who do you have going where? Okay, so for number one to Houston, I have Houston taking Cade Cunningham. Uh, Number two to Minnesota, I have them taking Jalen Suggs. Uh, Number three to Orlando, I have them taking Jalen Green. Uh, Number four to Detroit, I have them taking Evan Mobley. Number five to OKC, I have them taking Jonathan Kaminga. Number six to Cleveland, I have them taking Jalen Johnson. Uh, Number seven to Sacramento, I have them taking Corey Kispert. Um, And at eight to Toronto. I have them taking Scotty Barnes. Number nine, I have Keon Johnson going to Orlando. Uh, Number 10, I might get some blowback for this, but I actually have James Booknight going to Washington. Um, (laughs) Number 11, I have, you're giving me a hard time already. I'm just kidding. Uh, At 11 to New Orleans, I have them taking Isaiah Jackson. Uh, And then at 12 to Indiana, I have them taking Davion Mitchell. And then at 13, I have um, the Warriors taking Sangoon. Uh, and then at 14, I have the Spurs taking Zaire Williams. 
Ooh, that last one is going to be really interesting because he's a guy that we didn't bring up very much in our big board, but he was a guy I was teetering around with between like 12 and 15, maybe 12 and 16, just because we didn't really get to see him healthy really the whole year. So I think Zaire Williams is going to be one of those that we're going to end up touching on a lot throughout this process when we talk about them. And San Antonio is an interesting fit just out of the mere fact that that's a position of need that they seem to want to be ducking around, but this might be a perfect chance to go at it. Um, Ryan, what is your top 14? All right. So this is an interesting list for me. Number one, Kate Cunningham is going to the Houston Rockets. Number two, Jalen Suggs going to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Number three to the Orlando Magic, I have Jalen Green. Number four, I have Evan Mobley going to the Detroit Pistons. Number five, Jonathan Kaminga going to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Number six, I have Davion Mitchell going to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Number seven with the Sacramento Kings, I have them taking Moses Moody. Number eight, I have James Booknight going to the Toronto Raptors. Number nine with the Orlando Magic, I have Kai Jones going out of Texas or coming out of Texas. Number 10, I have Keon Johnson from Tennessee. He's going to the Washington Wizards. Number 11, I have Franz Wagner from Michigan. He's going to the New Orleans Pelicans. Number 12 with the Indiana Pacers. I had them selecting Zaire Williams from Stanford. Number 13 with the Golden State Warriors. I had them taking Corey Kispert. And number 14 with the San Antonio Spurs. I had them taking Scotty Barnes. So I think one of the most interesting things already is Barnes being where he is for you and Corey Kispert. Man, what did you just want to give them more three-point shooting? Corey <laughs> Kispert just fits right in, huh? That right. was actually one of my bigger debates, too, was just out of the mere fact that he's a guy that's going to be plug and play. So that's going to be really interesting as well. Um, looking at my list for Houston, I K Cunningham seems to be the consensus. Our first two are the ones that we seem to match up on because I had Jalen Suggs also going to Minnesota. I think – Number three with Orlando is where things definitely kind of switch up, but not by that much. I actually have them going with Evan Mobley there. I have Detroit going with Jalen Green. Oklahoma City going with Jonathan Kuminga. I have Cleveland going with Jalen Johnson, similar to what Lauren had. I have Scotty Barnes actually going to Sacramento. That one's going to be kind of weird because they got a log jam there, but I think they're going to handle it somehow during the offseason. I have Corey Kispert going to Toronto at eight. Davion Mitchell going to Orlando at nine. Kai Jones going to Washington at 10. Moses Moody going to New Orleans at 11. Franz Wagner going to Indiana at 12. James Booknight going to Golden State at 13. And Isaiah Jackson going number 14 to San Antonio. So let's start at the top of the list. It's pretty much consensus, but I think that people have tried to create a debate where I don't think there is one. So... I see that we, we can all agree that he's the best prospect on the board, but Lauren, I'll start with you. Why, why do you think Kay Cunningham specifically fits for Houston though? Well, without giving Houston too much of a hard time, especially being a, a Mavericks person, um, they need somebody that they can give the keys to. And as much as Christian Wood is exciting and fun I don't know that everyone realizes how old he is. I think most people do realize that he's been around for a little bit. He just hasn't really gotten his footing in the league. But getting someone like Cade Cunningham gives you the opportunity to now have a direction with your franchise. And they don't have that right now. John Wall, not going to be there much longer. I don't know how that situation is going to pan out. They've got a lot of work to do there, but he's not their future. Um, so they need that. And there are a lot of guys in this draft 
who could be that, even if they don't get that number one pick, they still have the opportunity to get that guy. But if they get number one, they absolutely have to take Cade Cunningham because I think he's their best shot at, at giving them that. And I, I believe that most people are on the same page with that. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Cade is that everybody has tried to poke holes in his time with Oklahoma State, and I don't think that they realize just the kind of supporting cast that he had around him. There's not really any type of three-point shooting surrounding him. He's a guy that's at the top of the scouting report, not only because he's potentially going number one overall in the draft, but because he's had that hands down their most versatile player at the top of the, uh, top of the totem pole for Oklahoma State. So it was one of those things where I think he had to do a lot of things that were uncharacteristic. Ryan, one of the things that I brought up during our big board when it came to Cade was the slow starts. If I remember correctly, it was like some weird discrepancy where he's like the ultimate second half player where he averages like six points in the first half and 14 in the the second half. How do you think that a guy who puts so much emphasis on sharing with his teammates, getting his other teammates going, how much emphasis do you think that will have on Kay Cunningham fitting with Houston because they've got a handful of guys on this roster that are pretty interesting. Eric Gordon, there's a debate as to whether or not he'll be around, but the dude is a microwave scorer. Obviously, when you look down the list, they've got young guys like Kenyon Martin Jr., who's been really good for them defensively, but kind of just needs somebody to facilitate for him. Um, Kevin Porter Jr., despite a lot of the off-court stuff that we all are relatively aware of, the dude's a hooper. The dude he's does what he needs to do when he's on the floor, and he's he's the real deal. And then Jay Sean Tate's another guy that's flowing under the radar as a rookie for them that's been playing really good. So how do you feel like Kay Cunningham fits with some of this young core, uh, some of the young core assets that they have moving forward? He just gives Houston another another offensive weapon, and I think that's the most important part of, of all of this because Houston has a lot of talent, like you mentioned, a lot of young players who are great, but they're really unable to win games. Kevin Porter Jr., we saw what he did in the G League. He's turning out to be the answer for them at the shooting guard position. Kenyon Martin Jr., I mean, he, he, he resembles a lot of what his dad did in the NBA with his athleticism and his intensity. I think he's going to be a great player for them down the line. Christian Woods already established himself in the league, especially considering that he had the potential to be an all-star this year if he wasn't hurt. But where K fits in all of this is, like I mentioned, another offensive option, but he's a guy who has great court vision. He can facilitate the ball. He can score pretty much everywhere on the floor. I do think the slow starts are definitely going to affect his performance. I don't know if they're going to affect it, if it's going to affect him as much, considering that, like we mentioned, only six points in the first half, but he could turn it up in the second half by averaging 14 points a game. And he did that against Liberty in the tournament where he had one point in the first half and 14 in the second half. And then of course, with Eric Gordon and John Wall, we don't really know what their status is going to be. I feel like now it's up to Cade to really get this team going. And like, like Lauren said, I think it's time to give the reins of the offense to Kate Cunningham. I mean, that's definitely the guy I would want to give the keys to. I would say that for sure is a guy that I feel like is trustworthy with the ball in his hands. I think he's a guy that with the right amount of talent around him can really display what his overall skill set is. I think the spacing of the NBA is one of those things that's literally going to make him a monster at the next level too. So I think there's a lot of things that definitely translate well for them. The difference in translation to the NBA starts with the second pick though. Um, this is the one that I had a lot of like uh, soul searching taking place when trying to decide who fits here. And it's mainly because of the weird kind of log jam that they have. Um, I'm talking about the Minnesota Timberwolves. So we all put Jalen Suggs there, but 
I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't as extremely confident about this selection just because of the fact that Malik Beasley, when he was in the lineup, he was taking away minutes from Anthony Edwards. We've seen with Anthony Edwards not being the second, the first guy off the bench with basically with Malik Beasley out, Anthony Edwards has really been able to step, step up his game and people are slowly sliding him into the rookie of the year race, however you want to take that. But he's been a guy that's played a lot better when given the reins to just be the two guard. I don't know exactly how Jalen Suggs fits on this team with the fact that you could upset the apple cart if you start him over D'Angelo Russell, but I don't see how you pass up on a talent like this who clearly his biggest knock of being around so many talented players at Gonzaga actually might work in his benefit with Minnesota. So, Lauren, how do you feel like Jalen Suggs fits with Minnesota considering their roster construction. Yeah, you know, it's really complicated. There's a lot of layers to it because it also, to, in my opinion, a lot or something that really has to do with it is what is Minnesota's long-term future look like? How much time do you have with Cat? How much time? And if Cat's out, is D'Lo also out? I'm not sure what that really looks like. And, and, and I don't think that there is a clear-cut answer for that right now. But like you mentioned, when you have the opportunity to go get a talent like Jalen Suggs, you have to do it. I don't think Evan Mobley fits really that all that well with the roster and kind of going down the line. I mean, you, there's there might be an argument for Jonathan Kaminga or even Jalen Green, but people look at Jalen Green as, as more of a two-guard than Jalen Suggs. And I just... If you just took Anthony Edwards, why would you do that? And that that's kind of my thought process with it. And so if you can get Jalen Jalen Suggs in and kind of create or not create, but have him kind of continue to hone his craft and become more of this point guard that could play next to Anthony Edwards in the long term, then I think that's what you do. If if you're a team like Minnesota and you can't really get anything going, you typically can't keep star players. I don't know where you guys consider D'Lo, if he's in that category, if he's not. But either way, there's going to always be a demand for D'Lo if he's available, And so, in my opinion. And so I think you have to look and say, okay, if we take Jalen Suggs, what can he learn from D'Lo? Where will he fit? I think Malik Beasley, his ceiling only goes so high. So while he might initially take some of those minutes away from Jalen Suggs the same way he did from Anthony Edwards, the reality is in the long term, Jalen Suggs is the best option for their timeline, for their need on their roster. If they're going to try and keep Cat and keep moving forward with this group, I just don't know how many more opportunities at high draft picks and at players they'll get. And I think, Lauren, I think you make a really good point about the future aspect of it because that really is the big question for them. D'Lo and Cat, I wouldn't say they're attached to the hip, but there's something as close to that as you possibly can. And it's weird that that's the case because we also haven't seen them on the floor together very often in, what, the two seasons that they've technically been on the same roster. Ryan, when you look at what this team has moving forward, Jared Culver hasn't been much. Anthony Edwards is a guy who's come up as of late, but he's a guy who still has a lot of holes in his game. Jaden McDaniels has made very interesting strides so far this season. Naz Reed is a guy who I think with more playing time is kind of giving off a little bit of a vibe that he can actually spell cat when he's off the floor, which is a positive for them, but an interesting uh, concept to look at in terms of what to do at the center position. Um, why do you think that Jalen Suggs fits better than Evan Mobley outside of the mere fact that looking down the line from a guard standpoint, Jalen Suggs will probably stick more. 
it's mainly really because they don't need a big. And considering that they already have Carl Anthony Towns, I think it's just going to be redundant considering that Evan Mobley is a rim protector and he has a lot of defensive potential, something that we've already seen from Carl Anthony Towns in his time at Minnesota. But just to go back to Lauren's point about the future, I think it's pretty clear at this point, you need to blow it up. You need to get rid of everyone and just start all over. What I mean by that is because D'Angelo Russell, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he pairs with Jalen Suggs if they do decide to go this route. Carl Anthony Towns' future is in question. I think the young players, like you mentioned, with Anthony Edwards, Nas Reed, Jay McDaniels, I've seen a lot of great things from them. I think they keep that young core and stick with uh, Jalen Suggs. Malik Beasley has been interesting considering that throughout the time that Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell have been, have been out, he was the leading scorer on this team at one point. So there is some value with Malik Beasley and having him on your team. But again, you're taking minutes away from Anthony Edwards, which is something that as a rebuilding team, you should not have to do, especially considering he's your number one overall pick. He should be getting starting minutes. Now, I think what Minnesota can do in this draft, I think if you blow up everything, you get rid of Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and Malik Beasley. You get that with some picks and some younger players to develop and not only have as future assets down the road, considering that I think Minnesota needs to do a lot more if they want to be a playoff team. They're kind of in this like purgatory right now where they've missed the playoffs for a couple of years now. They've been one of the worst teams in the Western Conference. I think it's just time to blow it up and draft Jalen Suggs and build around this young core. Well, okay, before we move off of that, Lauren, I kind of want to let I want let you tackle that or kind of like retort mm-hmm. to that, just like your feelings on the idea of blowing it up, because I mean it's not a terrible idea to a certain extent. Now, I mean, I think that it's interesting because these are all guys that are going to have to be trade chips. I believe all three of them have at least two, if not three years left on their contract. So it's not going to be the easiest thing to move either. So, I mean, how do you feel about that in respect to also knowing that like the draft is coming up? So obviously these would all want to be, these would all be moves that you would maybe want to make before this draft commences, considering the kind of talent that's in here. Yeah, you know, for me, it's it's really tough because if you're going to blow something up, you want to do it in this draft mm-hmm. where there are so many solid players and there's so much depth. At the same time, Carl Anthony Towns has, I what was it, three more years on his contract? After this mm-hmm. season, he has three full seasons on his contract. So if I'm Minnesota, now's not the time for me. And that's mm-hmm. really hard because moving forward, like what's your draft, like what does that draft look like? If they... If for some reason they fall out of, they go below four, that goes Mm. to Golden State, does it not? Mm -hmm. So that could be a huge problem for them. If draft lottery rolls around and they don't have that pick, that's a very, very big problem. But I still don't think now's the time because if you're going to move on from Carl Anthony Towns, you're going to get someone like, you're not going to get Ben Simmons back. I don't know when they decide to do that, but that's what you're going to be looking at. You're going to be looking at something similar to where it's like, okay, I've got my, the, the, the key piece in the package is a young star because we're giving someone our young star. And so I do think that they do need to blow it up, but I don't think they need to do it right now because if you do get this guy in the draft, then you can move forward and you can try to get, get something going because you should have enough talent. And at that point, maybe you try a coaching change. Maybe you try more different things. You've got new ownership. Like you, you really need to try and do whatever you can before just hitting full, just rebuild, like 
not even rebuild. Well, I mean, they, they've been in a rebuild. So that's, <laughs> that's why I say that. But um, yeah, if I'm them just because Carl Anthony Towns has so much time left on his contract, I'm holding out a little bit longer because until he tells, it's like the Bradley Beal thing. Why would I send him if he hasn't yet asked to leave, you know, and yeah. that's a whole other conversation. So I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but I really do think that you, you, you try to, to wait a little bit longer because I don't know how many picks you could actually really get from this year's draft, like from one team. So the reason why I thought it was so interesting to kind of like get your opinion on the idea of blowing it up is because the next thing that we're going to talk about literally just <laughs> shot the whole thing into smithereens by sending everybody that you could think of for Orlando out. I mean, in terms of talking about the magic, I mean, obviously Aaron Gordon at the top, moving him to the Nuggets, moving Nikola Vucevic over to uh, the Chicago Bulls. I mean, even with Fournier, who was just an interesting one, because I never thought they were going to, they were going to resign him, which is pretty much his conditions because his contract does come to an end at the end of the season. But I wasn't necessarily sure that they were going to pull the trigger on him this trade deadline though i thought this was something that maybe they would try to finesse a sign and trade or something in the offseason but they were able to move them over to the celtics so they're the they're a team that actually did make the move you guys went with Jalen green versus me going with evan mobley uh ryan i'm gonna start with you this time why do you feel like Jalen green is the guy for orlando because they need another scorer there's clearly a gap in this offense where you're not getting enough scoring from Cole Anthony. You're not getting enough scoring from Dwayne Bacon. You're getting a lot of scoring from Terrence Ross, who's doing it all coming off the bench. And it came as a shocker to me that he wasn't even moved at the trade deadline, considering how productive he's been for Orlando for the most part this season. I think when you're able to get something going offensively, there's potential. Jalen Green's a guy that has that superstar potential where you pair him up with Cole Anthony. That's that's sort of the backcourt for the future with Orlando. Going with Green over Mobley is the better choice for the future. So for me, I'm not going to lie. I think that I, I had a little bit of a issue here out of the fact that I'm kind of lost on what the direction is. It sounds like they want a lot of talented guys, but don't really know what they want to do with them. Um, if you remember beforehand, Outside of just picking up Cole Anthony in the last draft class, there was also trading for Wendell Carter that addressed the center position to a lesser degree. Um, there was the idea of grabbing R.J. Hampton in that trade that sent Aaron Gordon to the Nuggets. I think that's one of those things that kind of opens things up. They also got Gary Harris in the midst of all of that. We can't forget that Markel Fultz is on this team. I understand that he's injured, but he's a guy who played really well for them and kind of was part of the reason why they were winning earlier on in the season. So, Lauren, with the fact that this team, there's so many weird spots because even being young, they still have interesting, you know, all defensive player level guys like Jonathan Isaac. They have interesting young guards like Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton. So when it comes to Green trying to establish himself as a superstar for this team, I mean, where do you feel like he is in the pecking order amongst the, the other guys on this squad? Because I'm not really sure. I think he's better than all of them. But does he fit in a way that'll be at a show that all? Yeah, so I, I'm with Ryan. I think he's exactly what they need. Uh, looking at their roster when they drafted Cole Anthony, I liked that pick for them. I, I still stand by that I, I, do liked the, I do like that pick for them. When they got RJ Hampton, I was a little like, Personally, I will let you guys know their return for all the assets that they shipped out at the deadline, I think was 
terrible. It was not good <laughs> in my opinion. I think they should have gotten more. And so, uh, and the, the protection on the Chicago pick is a huge problem. I don't know how they ever let that fly anyway, besides the point. So looking at their current roster construction, like Ryan said, you need a score. You need a guy that's going to come in and give you direction. And so when I look at RJ, when I look at Colt, those are two true point guards. And with Markel Fultz, he's currently your number one guy while you let the other two develop. But if he has, if he gets re-injured or something else happens to where he's just not your number one guy, then I don't know what his future looks like. And I don't know if they, I don't know that they would try to move him, but you need someone that you can defer to. And Terrence Ross is a guy that is, he gives you, like you guys said earlier, a lot of bench production and he's a valuable asset to have, but he's also the type of guy that could be traded to the Lakers or the Bucks or something for nothing because these teams are, he's, he's in a position to be able to contend. And so after getting, um, Wendell Carter Jr., that was why I was like, I wouldn't go for, uh, Jonathan Kaminga or, or also with Jonathan Isaac, I wouldn't go for Jonathan Kaminga. And because of Wendell Carter Jr., I wouldn't go for Evan Mobley. I think that they absolutely need that scorer guy that can just be the guy for them and hope that it all pans out. I want to say it was like two years ago. I was looking at future mock drafts and Cade Cunningham was not at the top of the list. Everybody's top of the list was Jalen Green back when he was playing for prolific prep uh, and back when he was in prep prep school. And so I, I do think that this guy is a serious talent and I think Orlando would be a fool to let, to pass him by. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with that either. I mean, even this time with the Las Vegas elite during AAU time was one of the main things that kind of stood out. That's what part of what helped uh, put Josh Christopher on the map a little bit too, was this time during AAU as well. Uh, So I think their, their pairing was interesting, which is a whole separate thing because I hate that Josh didn't have the kind of season that I was hoping for at Arizona state. But we'll probably get to that in a, a future episode or something of that ilk. But um, where I kind of want you guys to pick up with, and uh, Ryan, I'll start with you on this one, is um, just based on where you guys put them, um, Jonathan Kaminga and Mobley are the ones that go back to back. So based on the situations that you guys have them getting drafted to, who do you think has the better projection out the gate? Um, Ryan, like I said, I'm going to start with you on this one. I mean, you have Mobley going to Detroit um, and Kuminga going to Oklahoma City with Lauren as well. But what, what, do you, what do you think will be the outcome early on for these, for these two in terms of their ability to produce out the gate? Who do you think will probably be a better player up front? So I think this is interesting because I think Oklahoma City has a great situation. It's built with a lot of young talent, great players. Shea Gilgis Alexander, Moses Brown's coming into his own. Alexei Pokosevsky is turning out to be like a great center. And he's also like a great ball handler as well. It just seems like the perfect situation for Jonathan Kaminga to be in is to go to Oklahoma City, <laughs> considering that there's a lot of young talent on that team. And there's definitely a future. Whereas Detroit, much like Minnesota, it's a purgatory. And I think that Evan Mobley's career, I think he'll have a great career in Detroit, but I think that when you look at Sadiq Bay, he's been one of their main bright spots for the most part. Killian Hayes has really not been able to get out the gate considering that he's been injured for the most part this season. I just think Kaminga has the brighter future on Oklahoma City. I, I think that it's just funny how you guys went about this board because it's so Detroit-esque for them to grab another center. Sounds like just the Detroit move, right? You get Mason <laughs> Plumley and Jaleel Okafor early on. Obviously, you grab Isaiah Stewart, who's actually been a bit of a bucket for them as of late. 
as well as a really physical dude down there. Ryan, I will disagree with you a little bit and give a little bit of pushback from a talent standpoint. Only out of this case, I think Sadiq Bey has been pretty legitimate as of late um, and definitely was coming, I mean, earlier on in the season. He was a guy who was bursting um, like crazy, especially when they initially sat Blake Griffin down. That was like his prove-it time. Hamadou Diallo is a guy who's starting to look like he knows how to play basketball rather than just be an <laughs> athlete. That's one of those other things that I found really interesting because I thought he would have maybe gotten that that kind of skill set established more so with Oklahoma City, where they seem to have a lot more uh, playmakers on their team. Killian Hayes was a guy who was injured for most of the season. I think there's still a jury out on him, but I like them coming out of um, coming out overseas as a guy who can facilitate. And I think he's still a guy who is swing skill is three point shooting and avoiding turnovers, things that young guards tend to kind of suffer from earlier on in stages i mean i do have my questions about detroit in terms of their talent level in comparison to oklahoma city but lauren that's kind of where i want you to pick up mm-hmm. more so with jonathan Kaminga because i feel like evan mobley we have an understanding of who he is and what he does well how do you think that jonathan Kaminga fits on this oklahoma city thunder team because they they have a lot of wild cards if you want to talk about not even just the picks we have we have an understand that they own <laughs> everybody's pick till 2027 pretty much and then some but they've got a handful of guys starting with alexi pokusevsky like ryan had mentioned earlier i think that even when you look across the line at guys like lugans dort moses brown they've got a lot of different guys so how do you think jonathan Kaminga fits in the fray of all of this. So I, I think he's a great fit there. Um, you mentioned Moses Brown, Pokushevsky, who are, in my opinion, true five or not. Well, maybe Pukushev, there might be a bit of an argument there, but fives in my brain. And then they've got Isaiah Roby, who's a guy who's shown some potential, mm-hmm. but how high is that ceiling? You insert Jonathan Kaminga in there. And I think that that that's a good, that's a good move. You got Lou Dort, like you said, you got Shea, you got a bunch of other young guys that you're trying to really allow to to get going and find their footing in the league. And so I think Kaminga with their current roster construction is the guy that you want to plug in there because you do have Shea, he's your guy, but, and Moses Brown, like those, those guys that we talked about, they they have all shown flashes, but you don't have anyone that's like the number, that's going to be the clear number two. Lou Dort gives you a lot of support and he is a good young asset but I don't know how high the ceiling really is like is he going to be a solid starter that is reliable and does plays on both sides of the ball and you need him to be successful yes but is he going to be your number two star I don't know and this is your draft to find that and so if Kaminga comes in and he's this really versatile versatile four to to kind of partner with Shea and and they can do different things I think he's the right move if Evan Mobley is also available and they end up taking him well I think OKC has a lot of options because like you said they've got a lot of young talent but they don't quite have that clear-cut number two star so if you take someone even at a position that has a lot of depth OKC is going to be aware of the ceilings of those guys that they currently have and prioritize the guy with the highest ceiling to allow him to get the best opportunity to continue to grow and reach that ceiling. So to me, Jonathan Kaminga is the answer for that. I think the big thing with Jonathan Kaminga, the most part for the most part for me, at least, and uh, Ryan, I'll kind of let you respond to it a little bit. is just the fact that the, the Jalen, uh, Jalen Brown comparisons have been very heavy uh, with the main thing being that he's a ball handling a uh, wing that 
His swing skill is going to be that three-point shot out the gate. I think he really shot anywhere between like 25 and 30-something percent while he was uh, down there in the G League. And it was one of those things where the impressive part about it was his willingness to take them. I think his attempts were somewhere around five or six a game. It was just that he wasn't hitting them at a high clip. Uh, Ryan Lauren touched a lot on what the potential of Kuminga could be. From your perspective, what do you, th- what do you think it could be? I would say he's a long-term starter and the second scorer on this team. Pretty much what Lauren said. I think that this team is built for success, especially with the talent that they have on this team. I mean, somebody that we even mentioned, or I didn't mention at all, was uh, Lugans Dort, who's turning out to be not only a great defender, but also a great three-point shooter. Who's turning out to be another offensive weapon for this Oklahoma City team. I thought they had a chance to make the playoffs this year, especially with the younger talent and something that they were able to do last season was ride not only the older talent like Chris Paul, Steven Adams, Danilo Gallinari, and Dennis Schroeder all the way to the playoffs, but also off the success of uh, younger players like Hamadou Diallo, Shea Gilgis Alexander, and Lugan Stort. There's so much potential for where this young core can go that I feel like in a couple years, we could be talking about this team as Western Conference Finals contenders, especially if all their players develop. And especially with Jonathan Kaminga, who has the potential to be a two-way, a great two-way player. So I just think the sky's the limit. I think that is an interesting statement out of the fact that they have a handful of guys that have like swing potential like Pokusevsky was a guy who like before he went to the G League you were like wondering why he was on the floor other than to just kind of occupy minutes at the center position and now like they're they're giving them Magic Johnson clips on IG I'm like okay this is crazy then you look at you know the fact that they've been sitting out Horford it's opened up a lot more space for Moses Brown a guy who has really kind of piqued interest coming out of the G League I think they're in a really interesting spot. Even Theo Maladon is a guy who, like, mm-hmm. man, I'm not, I know he's a little turnover prone, but, man, if you put him and Pokusevsky on the floor at the same time, they eat. And it, they've had a couple of really interesting combination games. So that's one of those things that I think we're going to have to keep an eye out on because of the fact that they have so many guys that if they hit what their real stride is, man, you're talking about some scary starting fives or some scary full rotations with guys that are going to be together for a while. Um, so, Lauren, mm-hmm. now that we're out of the top five, it's only right to kind of give the guests the chance to kind of like dictate where we move forward. So we're going to kind of like hit on a handful of these guys that we have going past the top five. Mm-hmm. I want to get your take on uh, a, a specific player going to a specific situation. Any player on this list, six through 14, that you want to talk okay. about? I want to talk about Corey Kispert because he's a guy that I, like you mentioned, the plug and play. He could end up, I think there, he could he could end up going anywhere. Not Maybe not top five. I don't think he's going to go top five. But a team that needs shooting and that needs someone that's, go, like you said, going to be able to plug and play and you know exactly what you're getting for him. Where obviously you're, you want to know what their ceiling are and you that matters to you, but you're not as concerned with how high their ceiling is, but you know that they're going to come in and give you that scoring shooting option. And so, like you mentioned, Golden State may be ending, trying to go get him. He's currently mocked to Toronto via per tankathon. And I think that could even be really interesting because they don't have that guy. They don't have a guy like that. And so they've got like Matt Tom or no, they just traded Matt Thomas to Utah. Never mind, scratch mm-hmm. that. So uh, they don't really have that guy. And I think that that could be a really interesting pair there. There are a lot of teams that just don't have that guy. And so 
he's very versatile in terms of the scoring. So I'll be interesting, interested to see where he ends up. So Ryan kind of building off that, just out of the fact that like Lauren pretty much had him the highest out of all of us. I wasn't that mm-hmm. far behind having him Toronto, just actually more so because of that Matt Thomas movie. It was one of those things that I thought if there was anybody as comparable, I think Kisper might even be considered better considering the shooting clip, but you were the lowest on him significantly having him go 13th to Golden State. Did that have more to do with his fit across the board? Did it have more to do with his tournament? Because I know that that was kind of a certain, depending on how you view it, a little bit sketchy. Did it have more to do with just the, the, the age discrepancy in comparison to some of these other guys who might have a little bit more potential, like a Kai Jones, like a book night that you have a little bit higher up? What was like the swing a uh, factor that made it where Kisper actually ended up dropping for you more so than moving up the board the way we had. I think it was multiple factors for me. The tournament performances, yeah, they were bad, but if we if we look at the overall season, he's been great, especially in his games against Kansas and other high-level competition like West Virginia as well. But if I look at all of the teams on this list and why I decided to put Corey Kisper with Golden State at 13, he may be the best fit for Golden State in terms of what their game plan is. They've been one of the most consistent three-point shooting teams in the league, and teams are catching up to it, but none are going to be as great as Golden State. I think his role, I don't know if he's going to start for this team, especially with Klay Thompson coming back, and then also with Andrew Wiggins as well, Kelly Oubre taking over the three for Golden State. But he could come off the bench for Golden State and give them 15 or 20 points because I think his – his potential is very high. He can shoot the three, doesn't play a lot of defense. I think that's one of his weaknesses. But I think if he goes to Golden State, I think the offensive potential is there, especially when you plug him in with Steph Curry in a lineup that's already kind of filled with guys who can shoot the three. I think it's just going to be interesting to see how he fits on Golden State. Yeah, I think that's one of the interesting factors just because of the the, the simple notion that you know that his one – primary skill set is what you know golden state is going to be able to maximize out of the fact that they live off kickouts they part of the reason why they're not as good this year is just because of the fact that it took a while for kelly Oubre to be able to hit the three it took a while for andrew wiggins to really establish himself from beyond the arc jordan Poole was a guy who he's came on as of late but even he's kind of slowed down recently but he's a guy who i don't think they want to rely on long term to be what their their third best three-point shooter moving forward it's all those circumstances that kind of make it where i feel like Corey kispert could be an interesting pick for them if he falls that that far down uh lauren you have him cali bound but not here you have him going to sacramento Mm -hmm. explain your your fit for that one because I was in a similar boat with this. Mm -hmm. My only question with him is, can anybody for Sacramento actually maximize who Corey Kisper is? Because that's kind of my issue here. Maybe that's more of a Luke Walton issue than (laughs) it is a roster issue. And you can feel free to share your your thoughts on him. But because we we love to kind of pick at Luke Walton here on this podcast. (laughs) But uh, like, like, what do you think? is going to be the main, I guess, focus if Sacramento is to acquire a guy like Corey Kisper in terms of being able to integrate him into this offense, because I'm confused with it. Yeah, so 
Sacramento has got about a million and one things that they need to figure out. And the reason I like them taking Corey Kispert is again, they don't have a guy like that. Like Buddy Heald, like he's a scorer, but they don't, and they've got Harrison Barnes, but they just, they need a, they need a shooter, like a reliable shooting option. And I don't know what Harrison Barnes future is with the team. I don't know what Buddy Heald's future is with the team. I think both of those are, I think even Marvin Bagley's future with the team is uncertain. And so I, I, you could pretty much, let me phrase it this way. You could really take anybody in this draft and put them on Sacramento because they need all the help they can get. Sorry. Sorry if anybody from Sacramento is listening to this, but I really do think that they need that. And what I like about Corey Kispert is that he just brings, he brings scoring and De'Aaron Fox is a guy that can get to the rim, very crafty, very quick, but the three point shooting consistency has been in question. And so getting a guy like Corey Kispert add like gives you more spacing and why wouldn't you want spacing if De'Aaron Fox blows by just about anyone in the league because he can do it well Corey Kispert's wide open on the wing wide open in the corner I just I like it I do like it I don't think that they need a guy that's like a slashing scorer or a guy like necessarily or a guy like maybe Jalen Johnson or Scotty Barnes I just I do like how Corey Kispert fits there but you, in my opinion, you really could make an argument as to why anybody that's available would be the right pick for Sacramento. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing about them. That's what makes them so tricky. Like I had Scotty here out of the mere fact that it was a statement that you literally just made. I don't know what Marvin Bagley's future is. His dad was ploying for him to get traded before the trade deadline, let alone the fact that a, that doesn't do anything for him, but maybe even make his, his trade value lessened by the fact that it's like, you know he wants to leave, so his value is decreased. Then on top of that, there's a huge question at center in terms of Rashawn Holmes because of the fact that I'm oh, – yeah. mm-hmm. there's a huge wonder. I think his talent is there, but I wonder if they're going to want to sign him for what the price he's going to command is going into this offseason. And I don't think – I agree with you. I don't think they can. So that's the main reason why I lean with a guy in Scotty Barnes just by the fact that I think his versatility – yeah. We kind of learned this with a guy like Patrick Williams a little bit last season when it came to Florida State. The, the, the system that they run, the staggered minutes, the very focused aspect of having each player on the court do something very specific is one of those things where I think Scotty Barnes maybe kind of took a hit for that. I think that showed a lot maybe during the tournament. Ryan, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he had tried, like maybe attempted like four shots all tournament, like two games in or something crazy like that that just was like, not aggressive for a lottery pick player. So I think that on Sacramento, he would be really open to being able to do something like that. I think that another really interesting statement that you had made in terms of Kisper is his ability to just be a safe player because, and I think the funny thing thing about that is they did the same thing with Tyrese Halliburton and it's (laughs) working. Mm -hmm. So why not? right this is a very king's thing not to do but let's let's try to give them some credit in this case why not try that again kings and do something safe that is actually going to work out for you in the immediate future and i think that Corey kisper is like a really interesting pick in that area because same thing with tyrese halliburton you can put him in and know that what he's going to do is consistent and effective and even though it's not top level it's not move the needle from like a star standpoint it's mm-hmm. moved the needle in terms of the functionality of your team right so i think that that's what makes Corey kispert really interesting for them i i was teetering with it but i'm glad you kind of leaned with it because that gave us a better chance to kind of dive into that 
Ryan, we talked about Corey Kisper a lot. Who is somebody that you want to talk about between six and 14 that stands out with where they're, where you have them selected at? So I want to talk about Scotty Barnes and this is a player that I hear a lot about how great his upside is. I don't see it. I think at Florida state, he underperformed. And then the NCAA tournament, the time when we were, we were waiting for him to break out and have a lot of these great games. He struggles against Michigan. He doesn't score a lot. At 14, I have him going to the San Antonio Spurs. I think he can right the ship here. I think with the positive upside that a lot of people say he has, I think will be beneficial to a young team in San Antonio that's pretty much building for a dynasty. They have their backcourt already established with Deontay Murray and Derek White. They also have Trey Jones, who they just called up from the G League. And then their forward and center positions are kind of interesting. They have Jakob Pertl, who's there has a breakout year this year. Lucas Samanich, who was great in the G League, I think his play will be able to translate onto the main roster of the San Antonio Spurs. And then DeMar DeRozan, who's been there for a couple years now, and he can pretty much play the one through the four. I mean, he's a very versatile basketball player. But I just think that it's going to be interesting to see where Scotty fits on this team, considering that, like I said earlier, there's a lot of young young players who are talented. But Scotty Barnes is maybe the seventh or eighth best player on this team if he goes there. So I think your analysis on Scotty is interesting out of the fact that he is a guy who's going to be really polarizing going into this draft class out of the fact that we didn't see, like I said earlier, lottery lottery level performances from him beforehand. Um, His time at University High, where he played with Vernon Carey, high energy guy was one of those guys that I mean and he's still that guy I don't want to disrespect him in any way but just kind of progressing through his career more so recently like his time in university high with Vernon Carey high volume player was a guy who could create for himself create for others played strong point forward minutes where they were putting the ball in his hands and letting him make decisions I think it was kind of similar at Montverde to a certain extent now that one gets kind of hazy because when you got Cade and you got Moses Man, it only it only gets even deeper with that one because, you know, that team gets talented through the ranks. So you can go to the bench and it can look scary with them. But still a guy who, at the end of the day, I think the biggest attribute that's lined up with Scotty is effort and energy. Those are the two things that are always kind of associated with him. And I think, I think that's a player that can, with the fact that he has every other tool as a point forward outside of the three ball, obviously – I think that if you have that kind of energy and effort, you can be a guy that translates really well at the next level. I think this is going to be, uh, and Lauren, I want you to kind of respond to, to this, mm-hmm. but Cam Reddish, right? Guy in, guy in college plays next to two other star players in Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett. We look at Cam Reddish and wonder how in the heck is he going to translate to the next level considering the fact that he had a very subpar college career in one year at Duke. And he's been a guy that people weren't taking real notice of it in his first season with Atlanta, but he was improving every single, if you give you kind of from a month to month standpoint, he improved as we went along. Even this season, I think he's taken significant strides. Now he's been on and off the floor, but he's a guy that even in competition with guys like Bogdanovich, Danilo, like guys that are obviously going to be occupying his his uh, position and his minutes, he is still playing at a really high level. So I think that 
you should use that as an example of what maybe Scotty can open up to. Lauren, how do you feel about that? And how do you feel about Scotty just like overall as a prospect? You know, I think it's really tough. I will say I what FSU has been doing lately in terms of cranking out prospects is really interesting to me. Like you look at Patrick Williams, you look at Jonathan Isaac, like you can't knock these guys. And so uh, I'm not sure. I can't. The thing about Scotty Barnes is I can't tell you exactly who he is, which is why Mm -hmm. I have reservations about it. I like what Ryan said about the fit with San Antonio because they do have some bigs, but they have drafting Devin Vassell. They got DeJounte Murray. They got Tyus Jones. Like they don't really need that. And so taking a swing on Scotty Barnes, if you believe, if San Antonio believes that he has a high ceiling and that there are areas of his game that he can put an emphasis on and continue to grow and evolve with, and even not necessarily change his game, but evolve, like evolve is the big, big thing. And so uh, I do like that pick. I like the fit for San Antonio, but I I couldn't tell you, oh, this team's going to take him and here's why, because I, I really do feel like a lot of people don't quite know who he is like if you look at his uh game to game stats uh in his time at fsu it some of them are you're like what do i do with that like you said the underperforming is that really the performance of a lottery player and i don't want to disrespect him either but i do think he's shown flashes but because there are so many questions around who he is as a player that might lead some teams to pass him by and go with someone like a Corey Kispert or someone that they know exactly what they're getting. But that doesn't mean that wherever Scotty Barnes ends up isn't a perfect fit for him. And he just flourishes and turns into something where everyone's like, maybe I should have taken the swing. And so if you, you, in my opinion, if you're a team and you're looking at draft prospects, you have to ask yourself risk versus reward. How much risk are we willing to place and say, you know what, if it's a home run, great. If it's a swing and a miss, and he's a bust. Well, how are we going to make up for that? Because we swung and miss and missed in the 2021 draft. And so it's, it's risky, but I think that there's a team that could say, Hey, it's worth it. Or maybe we have two first round picks, or maybe we are, we're going to trade up for another one. So yeah, why not? Let's, let's take a swing. And I think that's the interesting thing because of the fact that because he's so hard to identify as an overall prospect production wise, like you were saying beforehand, you see everybody that raves about Scotty leaning on comps. That's pretty much the entire scouting report for him is he has X, Y, Z measurables. He has similar point forward skill sets and defensive acumen that can relate to a Draymond green, a name that I don't think you should just casually throw out there. We're talking about point forwards. Um, things of that nature that are really kind of keeping him up the board. I think the fact that he's such an enigma is really what makes it so interesting that you had him go to Toronto because they fit everything that I think you described to a certain extent about, you know, being able to take a swing and miss, knowing that they can work on developing him and unlocking whatever that potential is. Also being in the situation where knowing that it's not really a loss if it doesn't work out in that way because of the fact that they have a lot of older guys as it is. They're a weird team that people are like, writing the ship off on and putting uh, putting doubt in a circumstance where they believe in that maybe they should rebuild. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think people realize like <laughs> how old some of these guys are. <laughs> like if you really go down the list, I mean, Gary Trent Jr. is a new guy that they acquired and he's 22. He's a guy who's kind of finally catching his stride. We saw a lot more of that during the bubble for Portland, but I think that he's a guy that with more minutes is going to be able to really get his burn. But I mean, like, Let's like really put stuff in perspective. 
their lead guard is going to be a guy who pretty much just kind of popped on the scene in terms of Fred Van Vliet. Pascal Siakam's 27, and we're still kind of trying to figure out, you know, is he the first option on the championship team? I think a lot of people come to the conclusion, no. But mm-hmm. I think that Toronto is still under the assumption that it's somebody he's somebody that can develop into that. OG Ananobi's yeah. 23, granted, but, I mean, he's a guy who's hitting his stride early. So I think putting Scotty in a situation where, A, he's got a lot of proven commodities around him, but, B, he's got a lot of former projects around him, too. So he's not he he's not in an uncomfortable situation where he's the odd man out trying to figure out ball. These guys have all been through the same circumstances that he has been that he would be going through in the league, which is we have doubts about your game. We don't know who you are. We're not sure where you fit, and we want to know really bad. So let's throw you out there and see what you do. And Toronto has done that multiple times with these guys. So I think that that's a good slot for him too. Ryan San Antonio is so interesting just out of the mere fact that. You give Pop a man like this, I don't know. Measurables like these, I don't think he's I don't think he's seen this before. Like, you know, in terms of this aspect. I understand Tim Duncan and his type of setup, but we're talking about a guy, Scotty, who can handle the ball a little bit. Definitely, you know, high-level decision maker as well. He's got the tools there. You give a guy like Pop somebody that has this kind of toolkit, that's kind of that's gonna be really interesting to see how that goes. I think the main thing is he has so much potential that dropping to 14 just seems impossible, though. So <laughs> I think it'll be it'll be a steal if San Antonio ends up grabbing him up. So the guy that I want to talk about is Davion Mitchell because um man, this dude had him a tournament, didn't he? I mean, mm-hmm. literally played himself into conversations that I don't think he even remotely imagined himself being in at the beginning of this year. Um, We all knew that Baylor was going to be one of the better teams in the country coming off of last season, despite the fact that we didn't see a tournament from them. We knew that the head-to-head collision between Baylor and Gonzaga was something that not only everybody was crossing their fingers for, but pretty much a lot of people believe would be the best result for college basketball. Two each is two on whether or not that's actually true or not. But nonetheless, Davion Mitchell had himself a tournament that has pretty much played him into a conversation where I think even as an older player, I think teams look at him and the kind of potential and the kind of fit that he has and might be willing to take a swing on him. Hence, why I have him going number nine to Orlando. Ryan, I'm going to start with you on this one because you have him even higher than I do, which means you have even stronger of a belief in him than I even do. And you have him going to Cleveland. So how do you feel about Mitchell? Obviously you're, you're high on him, but how do you feel on Mitchell as a player translating to the NBA level? And then more so, why did you have him going to Cleveland specifically? So my thoughts on him as a player, I mean, he's, he's obviously one of the best players coming out of this draft. I think the tournament really helped him out. He's an explosive athletic guard. He's locked down some of the best defenders in the tournament and throughout the season, considering he's in one of the toughest conferences in college basketball in the Big 12. I think that his his potential is through the roof. I'm hearing a lot of comparisons to Donovan Mitchell. I also hear a lot of comparisons to Malcolm Brogdon and Devontae Graham. All of them are pretty good players, so the potential's there. My decision for him to go to Cleveland with the sixth overall pick I think it's just more or less about fit. And I think he fits the best with this team, considering that I don't know what, what type of 
role he's going to have, considering that, you know, he can do it all on offense and defense. As it kind of looks right now, I mean, Colin Sexton has the shooting guard position locked up. I think he has a chance to start at small forward for the Cleveland Cavaliers, or if they go with the three, three guard lineup, I think that's also going to be interesting. I think it really just comes down to what they do with Kevin Love because Kevin Love is back. He's fully healthy for the Cleveland Cavaliers right now. I think there's a chance that they they let him go in the offseason. I don't know what his contract status looks like, but I think there also is the possibility that he gets traded to a contender, maybe goes after one last championship. But if we think about just the talent that's on this team overall, Colin Sexton is up for most improved player of the year. Darius Garland's turning out to be a great point guard for this team. They got Jared Allen, who's a phenomenal, who's turning out to be a phenomenal center. I feel like the other person that's really in this like mix that I feel like he may not have a, a position on this team is Jetty Osmond. He's just kind of been there and he's not really doing a lot for this team. So I feel like they're probably going to release him at the end of the season or trade him, maybe package him in a trade with Kevin Love. But I just think that it's more of a future pick and just seeing what they do with, like I said, what they do with Kevin Love, what they do with Jetty Osmond. So I think your your reasoning around putting him on Cleveland is similar to mine in terms of putting him on Orlando. But I think the overall aspect of it has less to do with the supporting talent in the bigs area with guys like Jetty and Kevin Love and more about the guard spot for me. Especially when I was looking at Orlando, my biggest thing with um, Davion is just the mere fact that he's going to be able to play next to any guard that they put in Orlando's starting lineup. Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton. Markel Fultz, it doesn't matter. I think no matter what the rotational uh, setup is for Orlando, he's always going to be able to be a secondary guard who can facilitate. He's going to have to cover all three of their butts defensively because let's just be honest, that's going to be one of those things that's going to translate out the gate for Davion is being able to lock up um, in the on the perimeter. Um, Lauren, I don't think mm-hmm. that you're low on Mitchell. I think no. you actually just shot more so into what his actual range is in terms of being a guy between the ranges of 12 and 16 to 18, you have him going to Indiana. I think this is interesting out of the fact that I think that this fit makes sense. I just want your uh, explanation or maybe a deeper and uh, analysis on why you think that Mitchell can step in for this team, considering that, um, he's not a, I don't think he's an extremely high upside guy, but I think mm-hmm. he does a lot of really good things. Well, that translates to the NBA straight forward. Mm-hmm. So for a guy that doesn't have crazy potential, like maybe what Indiana kind of needs to take a swing on. Why do you right. believe that they went Why do you believe that they should go on da- or go with Davion Mitchell instead? So I think Davion Mitchell is a guy that, like you guys said, with his tournament performance and his age, you know, or at least I feel like you can, you're not really going to have to wait on him. He's going to hit the ground running like Sadiq Bey, like Desmond Bain, like some of these guys who had a little bit more, had a few more years in college and are ready. They're ready for their moment. And so I think a team like Indiana, you put Davion Mitchell in your group. I will also say, let me pause and just say, as I continue looking at the draft, I've been talking myself into having the Wizards take him at 10. I would love to see that. But anyway, um, but anyway, 
for the Pacers, we're talking about the Pacers. And so <laughs> in my mind, I'm kind of like switching, but with the Pacers, I think you bring him in. TJ McConnell gives you something great, but he's also a free agent this summer. And so people have seen what he's been able to do. So if a team tries to get in there and overpay for him, I don't know if Indiana is going to say, okay, well, we'll, we'll keep him around. We'll, I don't think he's restricted. I don't believe he's restricted, but whether you try to match it or do whatever you can to keep him around, I just don't know how that works because he's a guy, he does have a lot of value as, as a role player. And so I don't want to say his future is uncertain, but there are questions there. And then you've got the holiday brothers who I love. I absolutely love them. But I just think bringing Davion Mitchell, a guy who can play, like you said, he can be that secondary ball handler, but he also brings defense is huge. And so I like the fit with Indiana. It does give them more depth, but I do agree with you. I think that you might, if you're Indiana, look somewhere else for a guy that you really need to swing on and hope that he just hits because they've got solid players Sabonis is I love Sabonis as much as anyone but I don't know that they've got the guy that's like okay he's gonna be their superstar I hope Karis LeVert just like explodes and becomes that guy but that hasn't happened yet and I don't that doesn't mean that it won't same with TJ Warren like he's been solid like bubble crazy in the bubble so you just you don't quite know but they don't have that guy and so maybe it does make more sense for them to go swing for someone and just really hope that he hits but Davion Mitchell specifically is the type of guy where I will be excited no matter where he goes, because I really do think he can fit in a lot of different systems. And the only team, as I'm looking at this mock draft, the only team that I'll be mad uh, if he gets drafted by is the New Orleans Pelicans. I will be livid if that happens because I think (laughs) Stan Van Gundy is just, he's not taking advantage of those young guards that they've got over there. He likes the Mm -hmm. older guards. So I will be upset if that happens. But outside of that, he goes anywhere and I'm going to be thrilled because I can't wait to watch him when he gets into the league. These guys that have had the extra time and call not extra time, but like, you know what I mean? Stayed at a few extra years. They just, they're ready to hit the ground running. Like I look at Jalen Brunson with the Mavs, a guy that I watched night in and night out. I mean, these guys, they just, you might look at them and say, well, okay, they, they might have a, a little bit of a lower ceiling, but you know, they're going to be instant impact players. And so there are a lot of, of places where I think he could really come in and, and hit a stride. I think that older player statement like hits real close because I met a guy that like, and we did this during our Pac-12 breakdown. We did this during the tournament a little bit, Ryan. You know how I feel about Chris Duarte out of Oregon, man. I think this dude's going to translate off the bat. And they have, I mean, Tankathon has him going to the Knicks right now. Knicks don't mess it up. That's all I'm going to say because this dude, this dude is legit. So I feel like this is one of those circumstances where you get yourself a 3D wing off the, off the cup that can literally score at all three phases, he's a guy who can do just anything that you need on the floor. And I think Davion Mitchell, really, his athleticism is such a head turner in this circumstance because outside of the three-point shot, he has everything else. And even the three-point shot, based on the numbers, you would think it's already there. So with that being the case, he doesn't even have a technical swing skill. He just needs to come in the NBA and be who he just was. And exactly. I think that that literally makes any other team better. Um, before we move off the mock draft and start talking about uh, Dallas a little bit, um, Lauren, I'm going to bring it right back to you on this case. Mm-hmm. Who is somebody that you did not put on this list that you felt like, oh, man, I wish I could have put him on here. Oh, man, I wish this was a guy that we were able to talk about. Who is a guy, or even just a guy in college that you saw that you know was going to be in this big draft pool? that you just really want to rave about real quick, considering the fact that they're not in this mock draft. Okay. 
Um, so they're not in our mock draft because they're lower on the list. They're going to be, I assume, late first round, early second round. And he's mm. a guy that I really, really like. And that's Cam Thomas out of LSU. I love scoring guards. I think that there's always going to be a need for that in the NBA. And again, the type of guys that you can plug in and he might not immediately come in and be like your six man or your point guard that runs your second unit, but scoring guards are effective and they fit in just about every system. There's always going to be a need for them. So I really liked him watching him at Oak Hill when Cole Anthony was there and coffee Cockburn. I loved, loved, loved watching them at Oak Hill. So I'm on the Cam Thomas train. I think he's going to be a good pickup for whoever gets him, uh, but we'll just have to see where he goes. Yeah, Cam, oh, man. Literally, I think, look, when you talk about somebody who's an, oh, who's an overall just one-dimensional scorer or one-dimensional player as a scorer, this is one of the few times where in a draft scenario I say I don't care. Like, <laughs> because most of the time you would love them to have some kind of other skill that would be able to, produce early on because the scoring especially when you're high volume like cam is you go and wonder how is he going to produce if he's the first guy off the bench and he's not getting 12 13 plus shots a game Mm -hmm. and so that's one of those things that always tends to be a concern with one of these guys but i just don't if you need a bucket i don't see why he's not a guy that you would wouldn't think to be somewhere on the top of your list he's a guy who literally bleeds confidence he was asked where's your favorite place to score on the floor and his response was everywhere that's ridiculous i mean and like honestly it's one of those circumstances where he didn't just say that that's been proven i saw i think he played best in sec play i think that's where i really got to enjoy him the most games against auburn and things of that nature so he's a guy that i love uh ryan who is somebody that you left off of this list that you want to rave about real quick so I'm just going to hope that he goes in the first round, but I have to take a page out of Jalen's playbook because the guy I want to talk about is Ayo DeSumo from Illinois, because first of all, can we just talk about the fact that he was robbed out of the national player of the year award and the wooden award? No, because if we talk about it, I'm a rage on here. <laughs> I mean, he's a big, strong combo guard. I mean, this man single-handedly turned around Illinois basketball program. And you think about the potential of like how they could have gone to the final four, how they could have gone to the championship. I just think there's, there's so much potential for IO and and the fact that his, his game could possibly translate well to the NBA. I think he could fit on a lot of different teams. I would love to see him in a situation where he gets a lot of starter minutes, but man, IO Desumu, that's a guy that teams need to watch out for. Yeah, I think Ayo is really interesting because the biggest thing that everybody's been talking about for the last two years with Ayo is where does he fit? I'm like, where does he not? Dude plays well in transition. He's he's high energy on defense. I know he's not like a lockup defender or anything. High energy on defense, plays well in the open court, a guy who can finish well around the rim. The three-point shot came. They told him, go back to school, get a jumper. Goes back to school, gets a jumper. I don't understand what the diagnosis is on this guy's game that I'm just not getting, but he's literally – done just about everything that you need of him need to ask of him to do and there's still questions about his fit I don't really understand it I understand that he's not a full point at the NBA level and maybe that's tricky but look Tankathon has him going 35th overall to Oklahoma Oklahoma City if he's not an actual point guard fine put him next to Shea but I don't necessarily know exactly how great that is besides the fact that Ryan that fits your mold of he's gonna get burned and that's I, 
I, if I get to at least see that, I'll be the first one to get an Iowa jersey for Oklahoma City Trust. Because if we get to any PT, it's over for everybody. I'm letting y'all know that off top. For me, this is a new one, man. This guy snuck up on me because I've been hearing about him a lot, listening to these draft, uh, these draft analysts and stuff. But this dude, Josh Giddy from overseas. Look, I don't know a whole lot about him at the point guard spot, but. I've watched a lot of him in Australia as of late, and he's just – this is a crafty dude. I, I don't know what's up with this. I'm hoping that this is not Ricky Rubio vibes or anything of that nature. <laughs> I mainly say that just out of the fact that he's really good facilitating-wise, averaging seven assists over there, seven rebounds, nearly 11 points per game. The three ball is struggling because he's shooting 30% from over there, but I think that that's something that might – be able to take up with the spacing being a little bit better over here. He, he's a little high energy on defense as well. 1.3 steals a game over there. He's just a guy that I keep hearing his name on boards a lot. And it sounds like his name is moving further up. Maybe that's because Australia is playing and our prospects are not at the moment. Maybe that's just because this dude is legit. And from a point guard standpoint, this draft is hit or miss in that aspect that this guy and maybe it's some Luca vibes too, because it might be one of those things where everybody's trying to figure out who that next dude is from overseas. So maybe that's driving his bandwagon as well, but I've been hearing a lot more about him as of late. And I just think that he's going to be really interesting as a prospect, because if he continues to play where he's going now and maybe ticks that three point shot up, I could see some of these other teams who are looking for an interesting player like the magic, like Toronto, like the Pacers to a lesser degree, maybe even Golden State, who just needs somebody different on their team different. coming off the bench yeah. at that point guard spot. I could see one of these teams taking a uh, taking a flyer mile on him because of the kind of upside that he has. So I think that that's going to be really crazy. And the dude's barely 18, it looks like. So, I mean, the upside is up there, is, is up through the roof as well. So um, that's my guy. But um, that's the mock draft. Now we got to move into Lauren's bread and butter. We got to talk about Dallas. The Dallas Mavericks are in a really interesting spot right now because they're floating around that play-in game area. Somewhere that, um, according to Luka Doncic and owner Mark Cuban, they are not very big fans of. So, Lauren, first off, how do you feel about Dallas right now as a team with the way the season has went how do you just feel about mm -hmm. them overall with the way the year has been and the way they've played um well if you break down like individually there are certain things from certain guys that I've seen from them that I've been like okay that is a clear-cut improvement from last year and that's great though like Jalen Brunson's catch and shoot numbers big improvement from last year and that was one of the biggest things that I wanted to see for this team Luca's consistency as a three-point shooter also has greatly improved so those are two big things that I was like I need to see that just about everything else has been disappointing and so I there's no there's really no consistency availability has been a big problem obviously um but it's frustrating because there's there are just so many inconsistencies and and I believe it was yesterday it might have been the day before um, but Rick Carlisle said, um, we are going to be switching things up, whether that means in the starting lineup or whatever the case may be, we need to change. And so couldn't agree more. Um, <laughs> but 
I don't know what they can do between now and the end of this season. I know a lot of Mavs Twitter is continuing to show their frustrations with the lack of availability and sitting certain guys on the second night of back-to-backs. But I am still in the position, especially with Porzingis specifically, if you're going to rest him on the second night of back-to-backs, like Mavs Twitter can't get all mad about that because if this guy gets hurt again, we are just, 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 we're, that's a big, big problem, huge problem. So um, I'm fine with him sitting on the second night of back-to-backs. And I also do have a lot of faith in Rick Carlisle, but we don't have a lot of consistency right now. This team is not what we expected it to be. And so there's only so much you can do in the middle of the season. And as the season carries on to try and address those things, we went out and got JJ Redick, which I was pleased with, especially considering what we gave up for it. I was like, okay, I'd, I'd do that all, all day, even though he's in an expiring con- or contract, whatever. Um, there's only so much you can do with in the middle of the season to change that. So I will be interested to see what the playoffs look like because with Dallas, um, Carlisle has a, a knack for being able to make game-to-game adjustments. And so, and then you've got Luca. And if Porzingis is healthy and playing every single game, like we should be able to figure this out. Your rotation shrinks a little bit. We should be able to figure things out. That, that being said, I fully expect us to be in the playing game. And that's not something that I want to see. I don't want to have to go against Dame. I don't have to go against even John, Jaron, or Steph. God, I don't want to go against Steph. And so there's no guarantee that they even make it out of the play-in. And that's a big problem right there. You have Luka Doncic. That should not be, that should not be your reality, but it is. And so um, we make it out of the play-in. I have said the only teams I don't want to play are Utah, um, the Lakers, or Denver. I'll take Denver out of that now, unfortunately, given Jamal Murray's recent injury. I think that that you know what you're, how to guard them a little bit. It, it makes it makes guarding them a little bit easier. But outside of Utah and LA, I would take anybody. I would be perfectly fine matching up against any other team in the West uh, because we're playing the same team night after night after night. And so those adjustments and you can figure out what you need to do. For us, our problem is we'll go out and win against Milwaukee and then we're not even paying attention the next night and we blow a game to the Kings or Houston. That's it's like our focus is just not there. And that's a big problem for me. So come playoff time, I think when it's for real, that things might look a little bit different, but it's, it's been a tough season. That's for sure. So Ryan, I mean, you had a lot of interesting points off camera that we were talking about earlier on, just trying to, you know, chop in about like how Dallas has been. I know you have a little bit of statistics on them as well from what you uh, were relaying to me earlier. How do you feel about Dallas this season? What are some of the things that you've learned about Dallas now that we've kind of had a little bit more of an in-depth dive preparing for this podcast specifically, how do you feel about Dallas as a team and what they're doing moving into the playoff picture? So Lauren, I think that this is, this is an interesting thing that I thought of earlier because in the early two thousands, they had Steve Nash, they had Dirk Nowitzki and they had Michael Finley as their third guy. Michael Finley was one of the best three point shooters at that time. I feel like Mark Cuban's trying to right the wrongs of what he did 20 years ago. And I think he wants to kind of remake this team where, you know, Luka Doncic is Steve Nash, Porzingis is Dirk Nowitzki, and they pretty much need their Michael Finley, which I don't know who that guy is. I I think it might be Tim Hardaway. I mean, he could be that, he could be that guy. He makes a lot of threes consistently. Josh Richardson is a pretty solid defender, but his numbers have dipped this season in terms of scoring. And then you have prospects on this team, like, Tyler Bay and Josh Green, who I kind of get, I mean, they're 
they're pretty good defenders. I wouldn't turn to them for 15 points a game consistently. So on that note, something interesting that I heard from the Locked On Mavericks podcast, Dallas is 29th in points per possession defending the pick and roll. And considering that a lot of teams use the pick and roll and a lot of them are shooting the ball efficiently through the pick and roll, like the Lakers, the Suns, the Nuggets, the Celtics, I don't know how how well that's going to fare for them. And considering that last year, they were first in offensive rating. They were third in points per game last season. And then this year, they dropped. They dropped to 19th in points per game, and their offensive rating is 11th. Statistically, it looks like they dropped significantly, and it's really because they can't hit open threes. It's just become a, a major issue now. But I just think that there's a lot of issues where I feel like they can't compete with a lot of the teams in this playing tournament. So, Lauren, I'm going to actually, Ryan, that alley was so clean, bro. I appreciate it. Honestly, because I want to piggyback off of that by asking mm-hmm. the, the elephant in the room kind of question based yeah. off that. And maybe it's a bit 2020 hindsight, but right, it was basically Josh Richardson for Seth Curry straight up. Oh. Basically. Mm-hmm. So looking back at that trade, how do you feel about the trade? Would you make it again? Do you feel like what Josh Richardson was projected to do for you was worth giving up what you knew Seth Curry gave to Dallas? How do you feel about that now looking at it all in perspective? Now, we have to remember Seth Curry's been out in and out of the lineup for, for Philadelphia as well, so hasn't been the straight shooter season either for him, mm-hmm. but nonetheless – the skill sets, that's kind of the thing that's hitting Dallas right now. Yeah, so obviously it hurts, and it is definitely hindsight 2020. You ask anybody, and they're like, no, we would never do that trade. We would never do that trade. What a bad trade. Philly fleeced us, whatever. But the reality is, at the time, we needed size, defense, and a secondary ball handler slash 3 and D guy to put next to Luka, and that's Josh Richardson. And his numbers have not been there. The defense is inconsistent. Like you said, terrible shooter this season. And that's just what it is. Would I say, would Dallas go back and make that trade? Absolutely. I think they would because they addressed what they thought their biggest problem was. They had zero idea of how bad their offense was going to get and the significant step that it was going to take back losing Seth Curry. And so I remember when that trade went down, I was like, we did not just trade Seth Curry because He gives you, I mean, you guys know what he gives you, but the contract value was just, I mean, some of the contracts that Dallas has, the player, they're some of their most important players and the contracts that they're on are insane. It's insane. And so like Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxi, Jalen Brunson, um, and Seth Curry, that it was crazy. And so getting Josh Richardson, a guy who's now on an expiring contract has a player option, but it was just like, I didn't love that we traded Seth Curry for him but at the same time we were looking at it as hey we traded Seth who is as reliable of a shooter as it gets for Josh who's a guy that is a three-point shooter like he's he's shown that he can do that and he's shown that he can play make as an off the ball two guard wing but he also has this defensive uh, like uh, impact that we need. We don't have anybody on this team outside of Dorian Finney-Smith, and we are never going to make it in the playoffs if we continue to have the historically greatest offense ever, but we can't guard anyone to save our lives. So now we can't make open threes, and we still can't guard anyone to save our lives because 
the team prioritizes prioritizes offense over they do over defense. So James Johnson, Wes Sawandu, Josh Green, Tyler Bay, all the guys, whether via draft or via trade that or free agency, even with Wes Sawandu, that we went out and got to significantly improve our defense, we don't play. And so then you're like, okay, well, let me go try to correct this by bringing in JJ Redick and Nico Melli. Okay. So we're now there. And again, I'm, I'm happy with that trade because we weren't playing James Johnson or Wes and we don't need a second round pick. We don't need that. But Josh Richardson has been the biggest thing because as much as I like him, he's not going to succeed in the role that we currently have him in and with the expectation that we currently have for him. So what's he going to do with this player option? I don't know because I just don't think the system and the play style are a match. And so does it suck? Yes but you can only control what you can control and move forward with it and hope that, you know, whatever happens, like you can only can, you, you can only move forward. You can't look back. So it's hard because every single person will tell you that, no, I wouldn't do that trade again. But I think if, if Dallas, like if for some reason we were to jump right back to that day, would Dallas pull the trigger again? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause they just didn't realize they could have never saw this coming the way it was going to pan out. So we're going to end on two two topics in particular. Uh, the first one is just uh, kind of putting Dallas up against the field in this one. And then we're going to end with a little bit of MVP talk just to kind of close the podcast out. Lauren, I'm going to come mm-hmm. back to you in this case. Um, on paper, mm-hmm. uh, Luka Doncic, Christoph Porzingis, Jalen Brunson has played very well this season. Dorian Finney-Smith is a guy who's kind of catching names here and there as, um, here, uh, here and there as well. Um, Tim Hardaway mm-hmm. Jr. has been relatively consistent. I know they're seventh in the standings, but on paper, where do you feel like Dallas ranks against the rest of the Western Conference? Um, It's really – it's so weird because, like I said, I don't want to go up against Portland. I don't want to go – in the playing game. I don't want to go up against Golden State because on any given night, we just seem to hand games away. At the same time, Phoenix is tough. So I'll I'll put Phoenix to the side for a second. With the Clippers, I'd take the Clippers – I don't, they don't really have a big man. Like they don't, I don't want to bet against Kawhi, but Dallas, I don't have the faith in Rondo. And granted, I'm biased probably because of the Rondo history with the Mavericks. But mm-hmm. if he's not playing with LeBron, I, I don't see it. Uh, he had his, his opportunity with the Pelicans and the Kings back in the day and even the Hawks and he did nothing. So I don't have faith in Rondo. Um, Reggie Jackson's hit or miss. Uh you don't have Jermichael Green. You don't have Montrez Harrell. You have Zubox and Ibaka, who's been struggling with injury all season. So I'm, I would happily take the Clippers, and I think Dallas would be playing with an extra like bit of fight for that one because that's probably their biggest rival right now. Um, Denver is tough, but if they don't have Jamal Murray, like that's tough because we'll just – I mean, the points in the paint, don't even get me started, it'd be terrible, but <laughs> – we could there there's a way where i think that we could be competitive in that series phoenix the reason i throw phoenix that i say i'm okay going up against phoenix but not utah not the lakers is because i just don't have a whole lot of faith in deandre ayton's basketball iq and that's really what it comes down to Mm, i think that uh chris paul and booker that you don't want to have to go against that for and beat that four games you don't want to have to do that but I'd rather go up against Phoenix any day than Utah because Rudy Gobert tears us apart. We don't have any interior presence. And so when I'm looking at opposing teams, if they have an elite big man or, or big man or some guy that will just, whether it's catching lobs or they have a, 
a strong skill set in the post. I don't want to deal with that. So Jokic is as a nightmare, but at the same time, if they have Jamal Murray, like how are you going to handle Luca? So whatever Jokic gives you, Luca will match. And at that point, what does the supporting cast do? So that's where I go with that. But Denver's deep, so that's tough. But again, you don't have your point guard, so it, eh, who knows? But um, God, who else? I'm going down. Clippers, Phoenix, uh, the Lakers. Don't get me started. I don't want that. Um, Portland. Yeah, Portland's tough, but again, the big man, like you got Nurkic back, but, or like playoffs comes around. What does that look like? What does your rotation really look like? Getting Norman Powell was huge. Robert Covington has been nice. Like Derek Jones Jr. has playoff experience and his canter has been like solid, but I just don't really know. So Portland is, Portland is interesting. Is it weird if I say I'm more scared of Portland than I am the Clippers? Because I just don't think the Clippers, it's not going to happen. I don't, I would take, it's not going to happen. And I don't think it's going to happen for Phoenix either. So I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to keep just rattling it off, but Dallas is so tough because they're so inconsistent. You don't know what you're going to get on a night to night basis, but at the end of the day, you have Luca. And so nobody can slow him down. Not one. No, you can't slow him down because he's huge. And so that's why you can't just count Dallas out, but they really need to tighten the screws before playoffs come around and figure out what their rotation is going to be and what they're even going to shrink down from that rotation when playoffs come around. They need to figure this stuff out, and it needs to not be taken until the last minute to do so. So, Ryan, I mean, you can pretty much just respond to that any way you want to, or, I mean, uh, you know, going with all of that, if you want to take everything that Lauren has said in terms of breaking this team down, if you want to try to figure out where – to rank them using a lot of that analysis. You can take that question however you want to. So I think it's interesting that you think that they can beat the Suns and the Clippers. I just think it's really going to matter if Porzingis is healthy, but I mean, definitely we've kind of already seen how well this team can function without Porzingis, especially with Luca. I mean, Luca has stepped back three in the playoffs against the Clippers. And then he also just helped, the Mavericks beat the Grizzlies a couple of nights ago, or it was a couple of weeks ago, but just looking at the rest of the teams in this playing tournament, I'm going to be honest. I don't want to say this, but there's a chance that Dallas could finish 10th and barely, barely sneak in the playoff play the uh, play in tournament. Let's start with the Spurs for a second, because the Spurs are trying to get to the playoffs. They're trying to get back to the playoffs with this young core. I think that there's a chance they can do it with Steph Curry and the Warriors. I mean, can we just talk about how great Steph Curry is right now? Steph Curry, the greatest shooter of all time, is maybe having the best season of his career. It's 2021. It's not 2015 when he won the unit when he was a unanimous MVP. It's 2021 and he's doing it without Clay Thompson. So he's pretty much winning all these games by dropping like 40 and 50 points a night. And then you look at the Grizzlies who, yeah, they've had their struggling, they've had their injury issues, but I mean, John Morant's been pretty consistent for them for the most part. I mean, he's, he's the superstar we thought he was going to be and correct me if I'm wrong. They've been pretty much doing this without triple J too. So the fact that they're 29 and 27 without triple J and I think justice Winslow's still out too. In and out of the lineup, but still one of those things where he's just, I mean, I completely understand the fact that they, the fact that he's been carrying this so well is one of those things that it only kind of is more of a testament of how his skills translated from Murray State. He's not one of those guys just coming in on dunking everybody. He'll give you a highlight tape if you want it, but he's really making the other guys around him better too. This is all going to go down to that point that I made earlier. Who is your Michael Finley? Because if Tim Hardaway is your Michael Finley and he's putting up 15 points a game and shooting the three well, 
I like that setup. If it's Jalen Brunson, I'm not really sure. If it's Josh Richardson, I'm definitely not sure. It's tough to find out where where the Mavericks are gonna are gonna finish. Right now, they have a chance to finish tenth, which is a huge a huge disappointment for what they did last year. I mean, they finished seventh and they took the Clippers to they took the Clippers to the limit for the most part. And I think, yeah, if they're able to make it out of this playing tournament, I think they have a pretty good chance against the Clippers, especially considering that I would take the Mavericks front court over the Clippers front court. The Suns is an interesting one, considering Lauren mentioned that it's really coming down to Chris Paul and Devin Booker, what the production is going to be like in the playoffs. And considering Devin Booker has never been to the playoffs. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what he does on a big stage. Denver, I think, is even more interesting considering that they don't have Jamal Murray. They just signed Austin Rivers. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the guard matchup is going to look like, who Luka's going to go up against on the defensive side. Man, a lot of factors right now. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the crazy part. Dallas is so polarizing because you have to say if, and there's like a lot of things that can come after that. If Josh Richardson can get his three ball back, if Tim Hardaway can be the third option that they may want him to be if Porzingis is healthy, which is the biggest if that starts at the literal first tip off of every season when it comes to Dallas or really even back when he was with New York as well. So that's one of the bigger things that's always so interesting with Dallas, because if everything lines up the right way for them, one of the scariest teams, not just in the Western Conference, but in the entire league. Um, Mm -hmm. To close things out, obviously, a lot of names have come up. We've heard Dane. We've heard Jokic. Curry, obviously, is making a really great name for himself already um, this season in terms of playing without Klay Thompson. Uh, Lauren, with the final thoughts, pretty much where do you stand on the MVP case right now? Where do you stand amongst everybody in the pool, injuries included, injuries not included, depending on how you feel? Who is your MVP of 2021 based on everything you've seen? Uh, based on everything I've seen, my, my MVP is Jokic. Uh, I think with the team success, the numbers that he's putting up, uh, he is my MVP. I think he has the greatest overall impact on his team as far as making them better. Uh, I don't I don't consider James Harden to be uh, outperforming Jokic um, because, well, for many reasons. So I'm, I'm not going to take too much time answering it. Steph Curry, I, I think it's really interesting looking at what he's doing and how impressive it really is. But for all the same reasons that people don't consider Luka in the race, people consider Dame to be impressive, but they're not going to give it to Dame because they're not at the top. I kind of put them in the same category. They're all insane, but your record just isn't there. So I can't really give it to those guys. Um, but yeah, for a little while it was uh, Joel Embiid and then he went out, missed a couple of games. And so that's tough. But for me, it's, it's Jokic. Ryan, Jokic just played over almost 800 more minutes than Embiid and LeBron James, two of the guys who, when we first started out earlier in the season, were the two guys kind of vying for contention next to Jokic. Is Jokic by himself waiting for somebody to try to steal it from him, or do you have somebody else above him already? It's Jokic, for all the reasons that Lauren mentioned. I think we should really talk about who's who's the second most favorite, because, I mean, Steph Curry is in this conversation. Despite the injuries, despite the struggles that he's been having to go through this year, I mean, I think Steph can make a case for this MVP, but I think for Jokic, yeah, the numbers are there. The talent's there. The impact is there. It's pretty much Jokic at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an interesting point on Steph Curry out of the fact that, I mean, he leads the league in scoring. Now he's keeping his team afloat. This is a team that we weren't sure 
who the heck they were before the season started. And we might still be a little confused, but we at least know Steph Curry's at the top of the totem pole for sure. And he's carrying his team into the playoff picture. So like Lauren said earlier, I don't think anybody wants to see him, especially if it's in a win or go home situation. And that's a lot of what the play in game in play in tournament is. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this season kind of unfolds. Lauren, we obviously are going to end up having you on again at some point yes. to cover the NBA in a little bit more depth, a little less drafty and a little bit just the overall picture of things. But it was great having you on. Thank you so thank much you. again. Yeah, no, thank you guys so much for having me. This was an awesome conversation. I love I love draft stuff. I love playoff stuff. So this is this is awesome. Yes, ma'am. Ryan, carry us out of here, broski. All right, so our question of the day for our fans, where do you see the Dallas Mavericks finishing in the NBA standings? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We want to thank our guest again, Lauren Gunn, for coming on the show. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.